Well, we are going to be uh, considering uh, this beautiful passage in John chapter 20, uh, verses 11 through 18, and it's the interaction uh, of Mary Magdalene, who was this woman who had been delivered uh, by Jesus. Uh, She was actually demon-possessed. We're told in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, that she had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So she was not only was plagued with sort of spiritual uh, realities attacking her, but she also was physically ill. And remember what Jesus himself, uh, Luis did a wonderful job proclaiming this on Friday night, that one of the things that Jesus came to do was to what? To heal the brokenhearted, to set free those who are captive. And she was both captive to demonic realities and broken in spirit and in body, and Jesus brought healing to her. And she, it's always good to be reminded, ladies, uh, women are, are given a unique position of dignity in the gospel because it was all the women who stayed at the foot of the cross, not the men. All of Jesus' disciples, except for John, uh, who liked to refer to himself as the one, the, the one whom Jesus loved, <laughs> Uh, which I, I think is really awesome. I really love that. He is so, he knows what grace is all about. It's not that he's saying he was worthy of more love. He just fully understood the gospel that God loves each one of us as if we're the only ones to love. John was more than comfortable claiming the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, but he was the only one. It was, it was Mary and, and Jesus' mother Mary. The, the, the women that were there weeping over the body of Christ disfigured beyond recognition. And here Mary Magdalene is the one who discovers the empty tomb. And in the beginning of John chapter 20, what we find is that Mary finds the tomb empty and what she does is the stone's been rolled away and she runs and she tells the disciples. And I don't know if you remember, but in the beginning of John chapter 20, it's fascinating. The disciple whom Jesus loved, John, ends up in a foot race with Peter uh, to the tomb, and he beats Peter uh, to, the, to the tomb. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Uh, he also seems to be faster. Uh, and and they, they look in the tomb, and they investigate it, and sure enough, it's empty. But it says, it says in verse 10 that they just went home. And, and Mary is left alone. And what I want us to be thinking about today as we consider this beautiful text uh, is, is these three realities that are so central to the gospel. And the, the first reality is that you are not alone. That's the first reality. The second reality is that you are known. And the third reality is that you have a purpose. Really, that is the essence of the gospel, that you are not alone, that you are known, and that you have a purpose. And so let's begin in the text. In verses 11 through 13, uh, you are not alone. Look what, it, look what it says. But Mary, so the, the disciples, it says they went home. They looked in the tomb. Uh, notice the det- it's like the emotional detachment. They're, like, they're still in shock that Jesus has died. But there is something unique about the way that Mary responds. She stays put. And it says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. 
They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So here it is. The tomb's empty, the disciples have left. Mary is frozen, frozen with anguish, crushed with despair. Anyone who has ever lost someone that they truly love, had someone, I mean, even heartbreak. If if you remember, if most of us, if we're adults, have had our heart broken by someone. And and even heartbreak, when the person is living but they leave us, uh, is the most isolating pain that you can imagine. Well, imagine the person you love, if you haven't lost someone you love, gone forever. You will not see them physically in this lifetime again. And I know many of you have lost loved ones. You've lost parents, you've lost siblings, you've lost friends. Uh, It is impossible for us to not be touched by death. And the good news about Easter, the Resurrection Sunday, is to remind us that there's hope, that death is behind us, that death is the servant of the child of God, for it becomes the means by which we are ushered into more life. It does not have the same sting, but it still leaves the same grief, the same pain. Watching my dear friend Craig die, or my dear friend Steve die, dealing with family members who have passed, knowing the the pain and the suffering that my wife has gone through, losing her only sibling and and her best friend to leukemia and her grandfather to a heart attack. Loss takes its toll, and it is a crippling, crushing kind of despair. It is appropriate to weep. And here, Mary is in that place. But I think that there's another reality to Mary's weeping that I think speaks to us, even for those of us that aren't necessarily dealing with the, the, the incredible pain of loss, is that there is just the reality of existence that's crushing. The loneliness and the isolation that people experience today is at an all-time high. Because we have been taught that we are the center of the universe, nothing is more isolating than that lie. And that lie has been taken in and it has been digested and in in the impacts upon existence that this lie has presented itself for modern for modernity and the secular age tells you that you are the most important thing in existence and yet it leaves us frozen it leaves us lonely I was thinking about that documentary I was sharing about last week that I had the opportunity to be a part and Anne Marie this brave young woman who has Down syndrome there's a scene where she's sitting with her father and she says, do you know that I experience aloneness? And he says, I do, Anne-Marie. And she goes, do you know that it hurts me? And he said, I do, Anne-Marie. And she goes, why do I experience this? And she begins to weep. And he goes, I don't know. And she goes, I hate it. And then she just starts to sob. And she's like, I hate it. It's the most, you feel almost voyeuristic watching the scene. And he embraces her. And as her her father just, just weeps with her because he doesn't even know how to comfort her. We all know what it's like to feel alone. What I found in Anne Marie is that we all experience that. We just have lots of ways of coping with it and hiding that reality. What I love about her was her bravery and her willingness to confess what many of us feel all the time. And here we find Mary alone. Now here's the thing, she stood. 
And I want you to notice something about her because it takes courage to do what she did. Notice her fidelity. The disciples go home. They feel defeated. She stands she stays put. Dead or alive, imperfectly believing or not, Mary Magdalene wants and wills to be as near to Jesus as she possibly can be. This passion to be near Jesus can be called Magdalenic. I like that Dale Bruner coined that, that term. Faith, the kind of abiding, sticking, hanging in their faith that Jesus sought in his discipleship sermons more than he sought any other single commitment. Though it's imperfect, though she doesn't even fully grasp the, the, the reality of who Jesus is, there is a fidelity in her faith, a childlike faith, an unwillingness to move because she is committed to being wherever her Lord is, even if she can't find him. But Mary's emotion represents for us the emotion of the whole world in that overwhelming presence uh, of, of loss, anguish, isolation, loneliness, the dark night of the soul as it's been called. I like uh, th that what happens next, this is so powerful. Uh, for You remember Jesus said something really beautiful in, in Matthew chapter five, verse four. He says, blessed are those who what? Mourn, for they shall be what? Comforted. And what happens? They, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She is not so frozen that she can't move. And sometimes in the midst of anguish, it's very difficult to do anything. But she does something that's extremely brave. She allows herself to make a move. And she moves, she stoops down and looks into the tomb and it's there where she finds comfort. And I just wanna encourage you guys, there's a beautiful reality about how it is that we move through grief is that we actually have to move. We have to actually get up. We actually have to allow, because what is one of the things that the enemy uses is that when we feel isolated, when we feel alone, when we feel crushed by life, is that we tend to isolate ourselves. We tend to let people in the least when we need it the most. But the moment she makes a move in her anguish, the moment she is met with comfort. And I think it's important when we see the, the question, the angels aren't critiquing her. They aren't criticizing her. These are messengers. These are comforters. They, the question is not critical. It's pastoral. It's compassionate. And I think that the best thing to do with a grieving person is to enter his or her space uh, with heart, which is exactly what these two do right now. I think it's important that these are angels, but we ourselves are called messengers of God. For the word angel literally just means messenger. And we ourselves, remember, if you are a believer today, that God has saved you, that through you, he can bring healing and love and comfort and his saving message to others. He didn't choose us to be cloistered, to be private, but to be comforters ourselves. And I love this This reality right here because in 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 through 4 it says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God as messengers of God who experience the glory of God in personal reality they are able to be conduits of that comfort to Mary, but I think that there is something for us to learn even from the way the angels, what do they do? They don't, they don't tell her what she needs, they ask her what's going on. They enter into her pain. 
And what does she say? She says, they have taken away my Lord. It's significant to note that the devotion of her heart prevents her from referring to Jesus as a body. He's still her Lord. That is so powerful. I think here we find something that's really important for us to know. And that is this first point that you are not alone. And you're not alone. Every one of us have people in our lives that want to be a part of our lives. And many of you, I talked with a young man on, on Friday night who has been coming to Door of Hope for a long time and he is isolated from the community and he's afraid of entering into the community and my guess is that he's afraid of being rejected by the community and we can allow those sorts of things but the reality is is that we have to take the risk to enter into life with other people and part of being the church is that we are we are many members but one body. And that one body, one family reality that Jesus said they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. If people can't find community in the church, how are they going to survive in the world? And if they can't find real meaningful relationship here because if the gospel in its essence is the restoration of relationship with God, with others, and then with ourselves, and the world continually promotes that you have to understand and know yourself before you can know others, and then maybe you should consider the God thing. And it, that reversal has turned the world upside down and made it crazy. But what we need to understand is that we are not alone and we are called to reflect the fact that God is actually with us. And do we reflect that? Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by what? Your love for one another. Do we live with the reality that Christ is with us, will never leave us nor forsake us? Each one of you who know Jesus personally, do you live with the constant awareness that he is a God who is present and available? He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. That the resurrection of Jesus means more than just that he conquered death. It means that he's alive, and if he's alive, then he's here. And if he's here, why do we so often live as if he's not? I always say that the essence of preaching the gospel is not understanding the ins and outs of theology. It's not proselytizing. It's just simply introducing people to the king who is with you. If Jesus is with you, isn't it rude to not introduce people to him? But why do we act like he's the invisible guest? He may be invisible, but he is present and he's alive and he wants you to know that you are not alone. And that's the thing that we need to understand for Mary because there are many of you here today that maybe are outside of the faith. This is maybe your first time to Door of Hope, and maybe it's your first time to church, and maybe you have never yet given your life to Christ. You've never come into that saving knowledge of who Jesus is, and I want you to know that human comfort can only take us so far. We still need to come into contact with the living Christ. We must be determined to have Jesus, for we can know him in increasing degrees of intimacy. Jesus says to you and to I, every person in this room, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, he says the same thing every moment of every day. Come to me. All you are weary, and I will give you rest. He says, come to me because he is near. He says, come to me because he is closer to you than you are to your own thoughts. He says, come to me 
and he wants to know that he is near you because he cares about you. He isn't near you because there is nowhere that God isn't. Let's not turn it into some weird abstract theological concept of om, um, omnipresence. Let's talk about it in terms of relational realities. He's near you because he chooses and wants to be near you and he wants you to know him. And that is why the angels aren't enough for Mary. The comforter's human comfort is not enough for any of us. We need contact with the living Christ. And this is why we need to know that you are known. Look what happens. In verses 14 through 16, it says, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. There is so much beauty in this passage. It's, it's actually, I, I read one commentator say that this closing line of Jesus saying the name Mary and her turning and saying to him, teacher, using the, the, the term that was familial, revealing the relationship he had is one of the most profound verses in all the New Testament. But I love this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, this tells us something about the resurrection, because a lot of us have confusion around what it is that Christians believe in regards to the resurrection. We saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. That's resuscitation. Resurrection's something totally different. Jesus was often not identified immediately by his followers when he appeared to them because he appeared to them in his glorified state. There was something tangibly different about him, but it doesn't seem like any of them could put their finger on what it was. And it wasn't until he began to in interact with them on an intimate level to remind them, and that's why he says, my sheep do what? He doesn't say my sheep recognize me, you notice that? My sheep recognize me. No, he says, my sheep hear my what? Voice. And they know me and they follow me. And it isn't until they hear his voice, until he speaks to them. Remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? He's traveling with them all day. They don't recognize him. He sits down with them and it's not until he breaks bread and there's something about his prayer that the light bulb goes on and they realize that they're speaking to their Lord and he disappears from their presence. And they said, when they come, they're thinking about the day and they said, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened up the scriptures to us? It was his voice that revealed his reality. But I think that this is something that's important for us to understand is that the cross changes us and sorrow can blind us and so can love. The cross changes us. It doesn't just change Jesus, it changes us. I wanna give you guys an example of this reality of how much the cross changes us. Look at this next picture. Here's the thing. The cross changes everyone but Darcy. <laughs> it's weird. It didn't change Darcy. But most people don't recognize me in that picture. That's not a different boyfriend. <laughs> Greg McAvoy said, uh, said this to me. This, this by the way, uh, is, 
I'm trying to add up. How long ago was this? 23 years ago. 23 years ago. Uh, I was a young 23 years old. Darcy was 28. And Greg said, he goes, man, Darcy looks the same. And he goes, but you, you look weird. And he goes, your eyes look dead. And I was like, they do. And you know why? There is a, there's a, there's a sadness in my eyes, a darkness. Uh, okay, go back to the last slide. I don't want to look at that anymore. Um, I want to look at my wife more, but I don't want to look at me anymore. Uh, the cross changes us. Uh, to, to look at me from 20, uh, sometimes it's hard to know how the gospel's transformed us because we don't see it as incremental as we grow in increasing degrees of intimacy. Uh, though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed. And there's something that happens when we realize that we're not alone, when we realize that we are known and we begin to push into that intimacy with the living Christ. The cross not only transformed Jesus and gave him his glorified body, but it has the ability to transform your life. And I have met numerous Christians who show me pictures of their life before Jesus, and and that was a picture of me before Jesus living in a lot of darkness. The one light in my life at that point was my beautiful wife, uh, who was just my girlfriend. That was a month after we met. Uh, But the fact is, is that the cross transformed my life. It changed me. It made me almost not even recognizable from the past. And it has the power to do that. The cross changes us in ways that are tangible and even intangible. But I love this, she doesn't recognize him. In fact, she doesn't recognize, she knows, she can sense that he's someone in authority and assumes that he's the gardener of of the property. And I think that's interesting. She says, woman, why are you weeping? And then notice the second question that he asks. He wants to know once again while she's weeping. So her grief is so intense that this is something that she's asked twice. And then he says something really profound and it's the same question that he poses to each one of us today. Every one of us, what are you looking for? Who are you looking for? And I like that the who is better than what because we have filled our lives with the pursuit of the what. But I promise you what your heart needs is the who. What are you looking for to fill the God-shaped hole that is in each one of you? Because you were created for God, to be with God. What does the Westminster Catechism declare? That the chief end of man is to glorify God. And how do we glorify God? By enjoying Him forever. That what God wants from us, what brings him the most pleasure is when his children take pleasure in him, when they recognize that they were created by him, when they give their life back to him, when they recognize that he knows the best path for us, that we are known by him. He knows you so intimately, but he invites you to know him. And she says, he says, whom are you seeking? And she says, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary, who are you seeking? Hebrews 12, two tells us this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What is desperately needed for each one of us is saving faith, not just belief that Jesus exists, but that relational faith, a total dependence upon Christ that allows the Holy Spirit to fill us with the adequacy of Christ, to bring us into relationship with Christ. Tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. 
Notice her loyalty, the loyalty of love. I will take him away. It reveals something so powerful that love is capable of doing difficult things, that she is willing to try to figure out how to get his body back to the tomb by herself if that's what's necessary. But once again, Mary is revealing something very profound, which is actually an issue for many of us, is that we have defined Jesus in our own finite understanding rather than allowing Jesus to speak for himself through his scriptures directly to us by his spirit we often make Jesus after our own likeness and what she has is a dead teacher in her mind but Jesus wants to reveal to her that he's the living Lord and you know what for many of you Jesus is nothing more than a dead teacher and he wants today to be the living Lord do you know how many churches teach a dead gospel in this city presenting Jesus as a great teacher, but he is not the Son of God. Do you know how many churches on Easter Sunday in this city declare that it's a myth that Jesus rose from the dead, and yet they continue to try to follow his teachings, white-knuckling your way up Jacob's ladder. If you live according to the ways of Jesus, you'll live a fulfilled life. You can't live the way that God demands us to live apart from his Holy Spirit, because the only kind of life that he wants is your total messy dependence upon him. He wants you to allow him to be responsible for yourself. And so Jesus in this moment reveals to her, Mary, there's no body to take away. He loves her. And it's in that word, Mary, that she turns to him and says in Aramaic, Rabboni, or teacher, the deepest longing of the human soul is to be known. And God knows you by name. Do you realize that? And do you believe that today? Why is that so hard? We, we're such complicated. We, we pride ourselves in Portland. We're like the reading city. We're the, we're the intellectually uh, progressive city. But the fact is, is that each one of us, when you actually kind of consolidate the deepest longings of the human soul, it always comes down to the same thing. We wanna be known and we wanna be loved and we want to be able to love. We can't make it more complicated than that because that is ultimately what satisfies the soul. What are you looking for in life? What is it that you think will bring meaning and fulfillment to your life today? Because I promise you right here is the answer, is to have the Son of God the creator of the universe, the living words speak your name. And each one of you, he knows your name. He is speaking your name. The question is, is have you attuned your heart to hear his voice? Psalm 139, verse one, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. He knows everything there is to know about you, not because he knows everything, but because he cares. Do you believe that today? John chapter 10, verse three, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, Jesus speaking, and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. So beautiful. Finally, not only are you not alone, not only are you known and you are invited to know, this is what Jesus does. Because the moment he speaks her name is the moment she recognizes him. You need to understand that you have a purpose. And look what happens in verses 17 through 18. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, 
For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, notice the presentation of the gospel. The first evangelist comes from the lips of this woman. She sent to the disciples, to the apostles, to declare that Jesus Christ has conquered death that he is alive. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I love her testimony. And that he had said these things to her. Now, I love this. In closing, I, I just want you to notice, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Jesus isn't rebuking her for holding on to him. In fact, he wouldn't say that unless he allowed her to hug him. But I think that this is a beautiful thing. Jesus permits Mary to embrace him for a period of time, but now there are important missions to be done, and so Jesus asked her, please, to let him go for a minute. He has something important to tell her. And what's so beautiful about this, I like what Dale Bruner says. He says, Mary is a person who wants to be as close to Jesus as possible, but if we don't let go of him too, so that in obedience we can be useful to him and go to the go to other people so that he can be accessible to others as well, then, then a Magdalene has gone too far. Referring to Mary Magdalene as a type of person that wants to be so intimate with Christ that they forget that Christ has called us to be conduits of his love to others. God did not save us so that we can go out and be desert monks. He didn't save us so that we can be, uh, this is my one issue with many of the mystics, uh, like I, I think that we can learn a lot in regards to what intimacy with Jesus looks like, but the ecstasy of intimacy with Jesus, if it doesn't lead us into a broken world, if it doesn't purify our hearts so that we can get our hands and our feet dirty, then there's something problematic with our gospel. And Jesus says, yes, you can hug me and I am with you, but he wants to be with us as we go. As you go, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, follow me. He never says where he's going. Jesus is on the move. The question is, is are we, church, on the move with him? That you have a purpose. It's not just enough to know that I am not alone, that I am known, but I want to know that my life means something, that it actually has a purpose. It's not just meandering and wandering. Into, I, I, just, I, I think of the example. Of, I started getting so exhausted uh, doing the... Uh, design of the, the space and doing the different rooms that by the end of it yesterday, I was here until seven last night and I just realized that the last hour I got nothing done because I kept looking at like, I gotta hang shelves in that bathroom. I need to hang the picture on this wall. I need to frame that photo. I need to hang that child's toy. Why am I playing with this wooden face right now? <laughs> just completely like my mind in a million directions. I was like without direction. I was incapable of doing anything. You end up back in the same place she found herself at the beginning of the story, frozen. But when we have a purpose, we're given a specific mission. And the mission of the church is to proclaim a particular story and we do not have the right to alter that story. It's the gospel. And I love this because Jesus says, Mary, I'm with you, don't cling to me. And he, then he reminds her that he has yet to ascend to the Father, that, that something better, she wants him in person right now, but he, she doesn't realize 
that she's going to get something even more amazing. What Jesus is saying is actually promising something, that I'm going to send to you my very spirit to dwell within you, and you will never be alone. I will always be with you so that you can go into mission and invite other people into that reality. Jesus, the living Christ, says to us today, I want you to hear this, guys. You are not alone. You are known. You have a purpose. I have chosen you so that through you, I can bring more to myself. This is the word of God. Do you know these things in your heart today? Amen? Let's pray.